0: This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the death toll at nursing homes continues to rise. 776 residents or staffers at long-term care facilities have now been done in by coronavirus, but the governor claims we're doing far better than most other states. Florida education officials are trying to figure out when it will be safe to reopen the schools and colleges. The superintendent in Pinellas County says summer school is crucial this year to help kids make up for what's commonly referred to as the summer slide. And now there's the COVID-19 slide. And the president of Tallahassee Community College says there's no going back to normal. The governor wants professional sports teams to get back in business in Florida. He's inviting teams from other states to train and even play their games in Florida if they face restrictions on their home fields. Today on Sunrise, another deep dive on the problems at Florida's Unemployment Agency. Two state senators from Orlando have come to Tallahassee so they can help their constituents back home navigate the system. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man arrested for building a campfire to stay warm. Wait till you hear where he lit up. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, May 14th. The state's official death toll from COVID-19 is just shy of 1,900 on Wednesday, and by now, it's already exceeded that number. More than 40% of those fatalities were residents or staffers at Florida's long-term care facilities. And Agency for Healthcare Administration Secretary Mary Mayhew says they are doing their best to protect them.
1: It is absolutely heartbreaking um, what we have seen and experienced over the last many weeks, and it extends from um, the challenges that our Nursing homes have faced their frontline caregivers, uh, the level of commitment and dedication, the uh, isolation from family and friends, but all done to aggressively support our most vulnerable. We have known from the beginning that this aggressive and deadly virus posed the greatest threat to our elderly and that within these residential facilities, that the risk of rapid transmission was greatest.
0: One thing Governor Ron DeSantis did to try to protect those patients was issue an order saying residents hospitalized for COVID-19 would not be allowed to return to their nursing homes until they test negative for the disease.
2: Florida actually prohibited sending COVID positive residents back to long-term care facilities. And the reason why we did that is because if you take a COVID positive resident, put them into a long-term care facility that is not equipped to isolate with negative pressure according to federal guidelines, uh, you end up creating a major transmission vector that will infect other residents and could lead to a major outbreak, more hospitalizations and unfortunately uh, more fatalities. And so Florida's approach was avoid introducing the disease into long-term care facilities and we drew a very uh, firm red line that was not actually kind of the majority view at the time if you look at particularly in the northeast they had orders requiring hospital or requiring nursing homes to accept patients who were covid positive and that obviously created a lot of risk at those facilities. I think that they were worried about not enough, having not enough hospital beds, uh, but this created a, a major vector. And so the results, uh, if you look by state in terms of fatalities per 100,000 in long-term care facilities, I mean, you see Florida obviously uh, far less than, than some of the Northeast states, but even states like, like Colorado, you see in Louisiana, much, much less uh, in terms of the, the fatality rate per 100. 000. 000, but also in terms of the case rate.
0: Emmett Reed runs the Florida Healthcare Association, which represents nursing homes and adult living facilities. He says the governor's order saved a lot of seniors. I would be remiss if I didn't thank the heroic caregivers in long term care facilities. They're often overlooked, uh, yet they're at what's described as ground zero for this pandemic. So I, I do want to recognize their incredible work. And we appreciate the governor for leading the way, always seeming to be a step ahead or in front uh, in helping us contain the spread of this virus. Uh, He's made some really tough decisions uh, that along the way have proven to be right, Uh, from restricting visitors to uh, holding COVID-positive patients in the hospital and sending them to nursing homes. Governor, I believe that saved thousands of lives in Florida, that one action alone. And you got a lot of heat for that, but it was the right decision, so thank you for doing that. The state also prohibited family visitation during the pandemic. Leading Edge Florida has 80,000 people living in its state nursing homes and CEO Steve Bamer says it was the right thing to do, but it was also a bitter pill for residents and their families.
3: We've heard from members who are watching families be torn apart by their inability to connect with residents in an assisted living or a nursing home environment. Again, a necessary decision, but a very challenging one. Among the many steps our members have been taking since January, Uh, to get through this crisis and to ensure the safety and health of their residents were creative steps to make sure that families and residents could stay in touch. And so they've deployed technology creatively. They've used internal television networks. They've done hallway and balcony bingo. If you can think of it, uh, they've done it to try to make sure that residents were as mobile as they could be and that families were able to be in touch with them uh, because we are acutely aware of the profound Uh, effects of social isolation, especially with potential mental health results as well. So I would just say as we look uh, to the future, we do have months of work still ahead of us. We are not there yet.
0: But Governor DeSantis wants to get there and soon. And we do want to get the families back together
2: with their loved ones. It's very, very important. Uh, We obviously got to put safety first, but I think, uh, you know, this separation, Human beings are not meant to be separated, particularly family members, and um, especially with some of our residents as they get older. uh, These are important moments, and, and we want to get them back together, and we'll work hard to do that very soon.
0: The governor also announced he plans to extend the suspension on evictions and foreclosures through the end of the month. The original executive order banning those expires on Sunday. State education officials are making plans to reopen school campuses that were closed for the virus. Florida Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran told the Board of Education their top priorities are safety and closing the achievement gap with low-income students.
4: We're going to open schools with a moral purpose, and that is closing the achievement gap. We're going to recognize that Florida can only hit its economic stride if schools are open. And to ensure safety, we're going to take a dimmer switch, a step-by-step, rather than put the light switch on in its entirety. In this recovery phase that we move into, principals are to prepare our schools and programs to reopen safely and ready for success. And number two, eliminate the achievement gaps which have likely been exacerbated by the crisis. The indicators of success that we're working through are keeping Florida's entire education family safe and healthy, instilling and full confidence in Floridians to return to school campuses safely and ready to succeed, focus on student-centered outcomes, elevate our educators and equip them for success, enable parents of school age children to return to the workforce, and in all situations continue to show compassion and grace in our decision making. Obviously what we do know, pre-COVID-19 and also exacerbated by COVID-19 is that prolonged school closures are having a dis- disproportionate impact on low-income students. The impacts of school closures being disproportionately felt by the poor and marginalized uh, have us looking at how do you address the summer slide? How do you increase and help alleviate the stress on healthcare and first responders? How do you address uh, mental issues that may have been exacerbated with disruptions to families and, and disruptions to everything from food to, to uh, beyond their education?
0: Mike Grego is the superintendent of schools in Pinellas County, and he's not waiting until the fall. Grego says summer school is more important now than ever before.
5: We have an opportunity as a state and as districts to really expand our summer programming, whether remote or face-to-face, but we must engage many more students than we've traditionally identified in June and July. It's a key strategy to lessen any loss of all of our students. With how our school year ended, we must address all students because the potential widening of instruction gaps is real, not just for students who we identified and were behind, but for students who may have been, quote, unquote, on grade level at the end of the third quarter. See, our summer 2020 goals must be that we close any gaps
6: for students
5: and, and prepare all students to enter appropriately the next grade level. Time is of essence. You see, summer program expansion is happening now. We must address the gaps prior to the beginning of the 2021 school year. Our summer programming is currently planning, is planned for virtual uh, instruction. The preference is face to face, especially for our most vulnerable students when conditions are ready for the return to our buildings. And hopefully in the summer, but especially in the fall. We need to expand the traditional grade three literacy programs for grades four and five and beyond. The 2021 school year will need to ensure that there are targeted services and supports that are aligned to the needs of the students with learning gaps. You see, August through December, as school districts, we're going to have to ramp up extended day, perhaps start Saturday school, and really do whatever it takes to close that loss or that slide that perhaps has taken place over the last uh, month and, and perhaps has the potential of taking place over the next several months.
0: The 28 state colleges are also trying to figure out when things can get back to normal. Tallahassee Community College President Jim Murdoch says the answer to that question is never. Most of
7: us, frankly, in our system believe that this is uh, an opportunity for us to question the the fundamental ways we're doing what we do and maybe to look at doing things in a way that improves the the outcomes of, of what we've done, even though we're all, as you know, number one system in the country. So we're, we're not going to look to go back to what we had before. People have asked uh, when, when fall semester returns, you know, does that mean we go back to normal? Uh, and, of course, the answer, as you know, is no. Um, we, will, we will move to what some are now calling the next normal and not necessarily the new normal. Um, and we hope to do it in a way, again, that enhances what we have already been doing, this high-quality work. We don't have a a set of best practices across colleges at this point, but what we do have is uh, a series of efforts underway, task forces, in fact, uh, that are addressing uh, the issues of safety and the issues of of, uh, classroom design and the issues of which jobs, in fact, should come back when we come back to work and which jobs should continue to work remotely. And those are going to be college-by-college decisions. Uh, but they should should be guided by general principles. And general principles are what we're working on now. And we're involving the medical community and experts in these areas to make sure that we we uh, design our uh, programs to be measured and thoughtful. Our goal is to, when we return, we back up and say, we moved quickly to go to remote working and online learning. We will be deliberative, we will be thoughtful, and we will be strategic when we move back to fall. So there is no rush, um, other than to make sure that students pr- are provided service. There's no rush for us to get back to quote
0: unquote normal. Michael Olnick serves on the State Board of Education and he says the bottom line here is that parents, students and teachers all have to be convinced that it's safe to reopen the schools.
6: We all want the economy back and we want schools open because schools opening uh, are, will drive the economy. But to get there, I think we need a public health framework. There are many unknowns now. We don't know whether children are in fact carriers. We don't know the impact of the virus on children. There are some reports about a Kawasaki-like illness in children, and we don't know this. There's lots of unknowns in this. There are numerous modifications that will be needed in schools based upon national, state, local uh, health experts, as well as those closest to the problems, which would be community leaders, superintendents, school board members, and and parents. Uh, One thing I would suggest and ask for is developing a pandemic response team at a state level. And this is different no, please than the governor's task force. This is something more driven by the department that would include health officials, school leaders, community leaders to look at these important issues before you open up schools. There's no one size fits all. Let's face that. Broward is in a very, very different position than Martin or Sewanee or Gilcrest. Every county has its challenges. Some are better prepared for it. The digital divide in Broward is not nearly the problem as it may be in Gilchrist County. You look at some of the specific issues, but social distancing, class sizes, what is the criteria, Uh, personal protective measures, the PPEs, supplies, the cost of supplies, the daily screening. In Germany, they had daily testing. We don't have that ability to have testing at this point. But how do you screen the kids coming in, the visitor protocol, buses? And this goes back to also class size. You know, how do we change class size? Do we change class size? Do we social distance? And this is just K-12. We have a new normal here. And that new normal, I think, would also require this task force to prepare for a very likely event that there is going to be a spike again in the fall. And in that case, we may have to regroup and go to distance learning in a more comprehensive way, similar to what we're doing now. Our district's going to be ready for that.
0: For now, the goal is to reopen in August, but nothing is set in stone. Speaking of reopening, the governor wants to play ball. He's offering to lift restrictions so teams would be welcome to train and play their games in Florida, but only if the stadiums are closed to the general public.
2: All professional sports uh, are welcome here for practicing and for playing. Now, we're not going to necessarily have fans but there's been reports that Major League Soccer may want to have their season in Orlando. Do it, we want to have you here. Uh, We want to have the basketball practicing again. We would love to have the Major League Baseball. And I think the message is that our people are starved to have some of this back in their lives it's an important part of people's lives so we want to be able to do that i think we can certainly do it in a way that's been safe and we have had events ufc these other things we're having a charity there's a charity golf tournament in juneau beach on sunday it's going to be on nbc at Seminole golf club the next week tiger woods phil mickelson going to be at medalist and and hope sound so we want all that but All these professional sports um, are gonna be welcome in Florida. That may not be the case in every other state in this country as we've seen. And so what I would tell commissioners of leagues is if you have a team in an area where they just won't let them operate, we'll find a place for you here in the state of Florida uh, because we think it's important and we know that that it can be done safely. We're also gonna be looking at some of the stuff with our youth sports as well. It's very important, and, uh, and, and we need to figure out a, a way forward there. So we'll, uh, we'll hopefully have some, some announcements on that very soon.
0: The governor has already classified wrestling giant WWE as an essential business, so it could tape events in Orlando during the pandemic. Next up on Sunrise, a deep dive on the state's continued unemployment crisis with two state lawmakers who came back to Tallahassee to try to get some answers about fixing the system. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Florida Hospital
2: Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local health care provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org slash COVID for more information.
0: Welcome back to Sunrise. Ever since the pandemic began, state lawmakers have been doing business remotely, meeting by phone or video conferencing. So it was a bit unusual when Orlando State Senators Linda Stewart and Randolph Bracey had a live press conference in the state capitol. Stewart says the state's wretched unemployment compensation system made them do it.
1: We drove up here um, out of necessity to try to figure out what in the world is going on with the unemployment um, situations and people not getting their checks or they're not getting communicated with or they can't get through. You know, you've heard all of the things that we have. Um, And so I felt that it's very difficult to communicate by phone or by email with the DEO. So it's better that we just come up and lay it out uh, what exactly our problems is. So we came up and I had over – 400 issues uh, from just my district, and we gave that to Secretary Satter so that he can help us go through these. They have done an awful lot in the last week as far as getting payments out, so I know those who are getting those payments feel a bit of relief, but there's many, many, many more to go, and he's working as hard as he can. So. I did ask him, what can we do to help you? I mean, they're calling our office, but what can we do? So we have decided that probably the best thing for us is to contact the constituents, we have their emails, on uh, and ask them, Uh, if they have uh, completed their application because what's happening is they have skipped things in the application, they don't have the social security number right, they don't have uh, their employee is not correctly identified, there's a number of multitude of things that's causing their not to be seen. We also found out that they've got to go in to every single week they have to go in and they have to indicate that they do not have a job. If they don't indicate they don't have a job, they're not going to get paid for that week. So we've found some problems that exist that I think we can uh, relay to the constituents that um, maybe we can help further uh, their uh, amount of money that they're getting. They get paid for everything, every single week that they didn't work, they'll get paid for it, but they have to go online and say, I did not work that week, I didn't work that week, I didn't work, so that they know uh, what to write the check to.
0: More than 1,400,000 Floridians have filed for unemployment, and it can be an excruciating experience. Senator Bracey says he decided to return to Tallahassee after hearing from a woman who considered suicide after trying to file her claim.
8: I'll just sum up the the problems, I think, with one constituent's request. And this person reached out to me and said that they had considered suicide because uh, their situation was so dire. A single parent uh, with with uh, weeks over two months now of unemployment, no response, and she reached out in desperation. And so uh, I decided that it was time to come here and really stay here until uh, the bulk of the people uh, get their unemployment. And so there's a lot more progress being made on the claims, but uh, there's still many more people to go. And we get flooded with emails and calls daily. And so I would just ask my constituency to reach out to me. And the secretary has assured us that we can take our constituents, uh, uh, concerns and problems with the unemployment system. Questions what have you to directly to uh, D.O.'s office. And so I plan to to stay here until the bulk of those requests are taken care of. I think What really is highlighted is is that we have to change the entire system that we have, uh, even the the technology, because uh, it's just not adequate for today's uh, uh, problems uh, with all that we have going on, the amount of people that could access it, you know. And I think that's a question that we will have to deal with. Uh, The secretary said D.O. just doesn't have the money to put up a new system, but it's necessary because it's an antiquated system. And so uh, I just think that DEO, uh, the, the, the current administration, has to prepare better for moments like this so that we can be, so we don't have months where constituents have to wait for their unemployment compensation.
0: The latest stats at the Department of Economic Opportunity show 1,100,000 claims have been processed and payments have been approved for almost 700,000 people. But 38% of those claims have been rejected, and those applicants are being told they'll have to do it all over again. Your calendar of events begins with the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. They're holding a video conference call at 9 and will address a series of issues, including stone crabs and alligator eggs. The South Florida Water Management District Governing Board holds an online meeting at 9. The Department of Transportation holds a webinar of a task force that's working on a plan to extend Florida's turnpike from Wildwood to the Suncoast Parkway. The Florida Supreme Court releases weekly opinions at 11. The Citizens' Property Insurance Corporation Governing Board holds a conference call at 11. They'll be discussing a risk transfer program. The Florida Developmental Disabilities Council holds an online meeting at 1. And the Florida Department of Agriculture Hemp Advisory Committee holds a conference call at 4. And finally, it's time once again to check in with Florida Man. A Florida man is behind bars after admitting he set a restaurant patio on fire to stay warm. Tallahassee police say 55-year-old Daniel Swanberg built a fire on the outdoor wooden deck of the Wild Cajun Seafood Restaurant. Tables were torched, several boards in the middle of the patio were on fire, and the flames were about two feet high when officers arrived. Damages? About $2,000. Swanberg told officers he was not trying to burn the place down, just trying to stay alive. He also promised to replace everything. He's charged with arson. And the Highway Patrol says a Florida man who was racing another driver on Interstate 275 in Pinellas County lost control and caused a wreck that ended up flipping three cars, including his. 34-year-old Mark Wayne Nettles of St. Petersburg is charged with racing and reckless driving. The guy he was racing was not charged. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.